Hey, welcome to the Allied Action Podcast. I'm Courtney Carter, founder of Allied Action. Today's guest is so great, a dear friend of mine, Brad Jenkins, Matt Coulter, president of A to A and I sat down with Brad to kind of just talk about everything allyship. Uh, this man came to this conversation with a lot of experience as the former associate director of public engagement for the White House underneath President Barack Obama. And then the gentleman who ran content uh, creation within Funny or Die uh, for various causes uh, that are aimed to kind of move us forward as culture. Currently, he is also the co-founder of an organization called Run AAPI, which is aimed to boost civic engagement with, within that community. We are so honored to have him with us today. The conversation is very energized. We hope it brings you uh, the same energy that it brought us and enjoy. Brad, I think the last time we chatted, I think it was last week, but we haven't seen each other. I know, man. I, I think I realized how much I miss humans like you <laughs> because we're all busy, yeah. you know, during, during quarantine, uh, I felt like I was more busy weirdly with work and just hearing your voice just made me feel uh, like I wanted to give you a big hug. So this is like a virtual hug, podcast hug. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. We're hugging. We're hugging. If you're listening to this on audio, I'm putting my hands around. <laughs> that's another lawsuit, but we won't get into it. Yeah, that. that's true. We got to be careful with the, with the virtual hugs. <laughs> and the other thing is, I've never seen this dope piece of art behind you. Um, oh. Everybody on this phone call is super into sneakers. So we go. what is this behind you? Question. There, there we go. These are Air Jordan. These are ones. I, growing up in Jersey, my parents uh, were were super cheap. So I always wanted Jordans and my parents never got them for me. And so now that I'm an adult, I'm, I indulge and I now own many pairs of, of Air I was Jordans. like, isn't it your uniform now? <laughs> it really is just like, because I do wonder if my parents would have, you know, indulged me at that age, the peak of, of MJ, I think I probably would have gone, gotten over it. It would have been like a phase, you know? But I think it was because like, you cannot get, we are not going to buy you $100 sneakers that um, it's now become, yeah. I, I wear Jordans pretty much every day. Isn't Some it? Some iteration. It's so funny. Like, <laughs> I think we're all kind of in that same age range. And I, I have these vivid memories and, and C2 and I have talked about this so often, but like, I remember when the first pumps came out and they came, oh. out right, they came out right before like summer basketball camps. And I begged my parents and my parents were like, we ain't paying a hundred bucks. There's no way. I remember yeah, the same. I went to my grandma's house and my grandma, I'm like, look, and my grandma, <laughs> my grandma, I, my grandma was like a, like one of my primary caretakers, her and my grandfather. And I was, she would spoil me. Right. Like, yeah. you know, um, and I just remember going, look, I know you got all that change in that change drawer that you guys have been saving forever. <laughs> I'll roll the coins. And that's how I bought, that's how I got my first pair of coins. Oh, and I love it. Like the neon green ones. They're just like, they were the best. But it was the, one of the biggest moments for me. I think I was like 10 or 11. And the coach of our traveling basketball team 
was an executive at a shoe company, at like Foot Action, which was like, it was like the, I think it was a yeah. competitor for Foot Locker. Like Foot, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And I remember he, Foot Action. He outfitted the whole team, 11 year olds, with Nikes, with flights. Oh. And it was like making the, it was like making the traveling team, the all-star team was, was such a big deal because we knew we all got free sneakers. And we all had the same sneakers. And it was, yeah. again, I still felt like I was like playing in the NBA because oh, I got these free sneakers. It was incredible. Anyway, look, so yeah, this, is, this, so this explains my, my heart. Oh, this is my rosebud, Courtney. This is my childhood. My rosebud, stop it. <laughs> I can't with you. I can't with you. But it's interesting you bring up your parents because I think um, for context of this conversation, I think it's interesting, right? Um, what your story is, Brad. Um, I know a little bit about it because we've done we've created content and developed shows and um, really do sit at the intersection of culture and entertainment and storytelling in various ways for various reasons. Um, can you, like, I think Matt hasn't heard this, but I'd love for the people that will be listening, like, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah. Um, and and, and um, where you grew up and why your parents wouldn't buy you Jordans maybe? Because <laughs> they're cheap as hell. Uh, no, I, um, so my dad, uh, my dad's a black guy. My dad grew up in segregated Oklahoma City. Uh, speaking of all of the, uh, it's so interesting, right? Um, that now Tulsa is, um, like people now are, are, are sort of understanding and, and realizing that history, but that's something that I grew up with. My dad would talk about it quite a bit. Um, but, uh, but yes, my dad grew up segregated, Jim Crow, Oklahoma City. My mom grew up in, you know, uh, rural South Korea. And so my dad, um, he, who has a very interesting take on, on race and racial justice and, uh, and the American dream, which is to say that he believes in the American dream. It's a very beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, mm -hmm. But the only way for him to really get out of uh, uh, there, there's no other way to put it, just poverty of Oklahoma City was, was to serve his country. So my dad did ROTC, um, was able to go to college for free, and then he got shipped off to Vietnam um, and then was stationed in South Korea after that where he met my mom. So yeah, I mean, my, growing up, we, my parents fell in love. I like to say it's like uh, Miss Saigon, but a happy ending because they actually, uh, <laughs> they, they, they came back. But, um, you know, they came back to New Jersey at Fort Dix uh, in New Jersey, and uh, we lived a very Italian-American life. Like, we, we, it was like Sopranos. Like, we really grew up, every single one of my friends was Italian-American. Um, and we were That's like- That's why we love each other, Brad. That's why we yeah, love each other. Yeah, it was very Jersey, right? Like, I love, growing up, like, like Godfather, Goodfellas, you know, that, that was like Scarface. Like that was sort of the, you know, and I think that there is an intersection with hip hop culture too, when it came to that kind of, when it came to that kind of content, but every single one of my friends was Italian. Um, and I didn't quite appreciate it until I got older uh, what, what that was like. I also didn't quite appreciate that I was like the only Blasian 
I, I didn't realize that there were other Blasians in the country. I thought I was like this one little unicorn, <laughs> you know? Is it, and like, is it once Blasian? You get out like, of, do you still say Blasian? Can people say Blasian, Brad? Is that a thing? I, I fucking love Blasian. I, I mean, I think other Blasians love Blasian, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's politic, what is the politically correct term for, uh, for, for Blasians. Um, I still remember when Nelly, there were like certain hip hop songs where th there would be uh, <laughs> some references to half black, half Asian, and I would get so excited that yes, like we exist, <laughs> black Asians. Um, but yeah, man, I we, you know, I think I love what you guys are doing in, in terms of showing up for other communities, and I think it's a conversation that, um, because of just who I am, I, I have no choice like I, I I I always sort of my foot is always in other communities conversations I don't really growing up I didn't have really a community of my own to be honest right because um you know I was called chink and Chinese boy because I look mostly Asian from white kids and black kids right so it, it wasn't it you know the other thing that we forget sometimes is that racism is not linear like racism or, or i should say prejudice or discrimination is not does not only come from the white community in fact i i really did witness a lot of racism discrimination misinformation prejudice between communities between the asian american community and the african american community between the african american community to the asian american community and so you know, anyway, I grew up with this expectation and my mom talks a lot about it. My mom is pretty conservative and um, conservative with a capital C, like she she's votes Republican and has a very interesting worldview, but she, we get in arguments all the time. I can't like talk about politics with her, but the one thing that I do appreciate and I think sometimes we forget is that she talks about prejudice and racism in South Korea. And her take is, and I don't want to do my mom's accent because I feel like she would kill me, but, you know, she, she <laughs> she'd essentially say, everyone is racist. She's like, every single person in South Korea looks the same. I mean, she even says that, which is kind of racist in and of itself. But she's like, they, we find ways to be racist towards each other. There are people in the southern part of South Korea who speak with a draw. They speak kind of with a southern accent. And there is classism and racism in Korea. So when she came to this country, she expected the racism, mm -hmm. right? She sort of expected the discrimination. And so she just doesn't have sort of patience or, um, you know, she, she doesn't have as much of a, of a spirit of, we have to solve this as much of it, as much of it as this is just what it is. <laughs> everyone is racist and you just sort of have to like barrel through it um so anyway growing up hearing that was was an interesting thing but then obviously becoming a fully formed adult realizing that I did not agree with that that we all have a responsibility to change uh to change this was uh uh was 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 interesting but yeah it was uh what do you think if we all did it's interesting and thank you for sharing that like, but what do you, do you, if you're saying you don't agree with your mom, what do you think if we, if everyone did just 
accept like we're just all racist do you actually think that would be progressive do you think that that would move us to a better place i think that there's i mean i'll say this about my mom i think there's a lot of honesty um i think that she you know again it it comes from the perspective of she lived in such poverty where you know the idea of politics or race just didn't matter to her like uh she grew up in a family where quite literally, you know, her father passed when she was six years old. So quite literally every day was, how do we, how do we get enough rice for our family to eat? Um, and, you know, in, in many regards, I think she thought of politics and this, these conversations about race as privilege, because you have the ability or the time or the mental even conversation, think about these things. Um, when from her perspective, it was just 100% survival, just survival. And so if you are not a part of that game plan for her in terms of survival, if you are not part of, from her perspective, you know, helping her or her family get what she needs, she does not give a shit about you. And that is the very conservative mindset of like, fuck all y'all. <laughs> I don't, I don't have the time or resources to be helping others i have to help myself and while it's super regressive to hear out loud and growing up again i didn't quite understand or appreciate that until i got older um i also understood it i mean that's the other piece of this too is you know i don't i get in a lot of fights with my mom about politics all the time but i never have ever discounted her love for me or for my brother or or discounted what she sacrificed for me um, and really giving her whole life for me. But in, in large respects, you know, I do think, especially immigrants, it's, it's uh, uh, June is Immigrant Heritage Month, right? And it's regardless of what kind of immigrant you are, there is this conversation, right? I think it's happening now, particularly in the violence against Asian Americans, many of whom are elders, where Growing up as, you know, child of an immigrant, there is this push and pull of, in, in many cases, depending on where you live or the community that you're in, you're ashamed, you're embarrassed, you're ashamed that your house smells a certain way, you're ashamed that your mom put kimchi in your lunchbox, even though now like Brooklyn hipsters, white guys like sell kimchi, which is a whole other, whole other thing that I'm still wrapping my head, my head around, but like, no, my mom would put kimchi in my lunch and I get made fun of, right? I mean, it's, and now it's cool. But like back then, it's like, I would have this perpetual fear of, I wanted to be cool. We all wanted to be cool. And being cool wasn't having a mom that spoke broken English. That wasn't cool, right? And cool, weirdly, in my neighborhood was Italian gangster films and hip hop. It was like Wu-Tang Clan, and Goodfellas, right? And as you can imagine, being Asian American wasn't, didn't really fit in either of those things. And so, you know, you sort of push down all of this, uh, I don't know if it's embarrassment or you push down all of this feeling of wanting to be adjacent. And in some cases, some people say it's white adjacent. I don't know if it's necessarily white adjacent because growing up, the heroes that a lot of my friends looked up to weren't white. They were Alan, I Alan Iverson. They were Rizza and Jizza and old dirty Bizza, who, by the way, 
the whole idea of Wu-Tang was based off of Asian American, East Asian, you know, culture. Um, so anyway, lo- lo- long went away saying, I think, you know, the, the, what, what is sometimes missing in this conversation around, around race or around racial equity um, uh, is the idea that somehow if you're non-white, you, you are somehow like intrinsically not a part of the problem. And I do think that there are many, many friends of mine who I would consider more problematic <laughs> um, than some of my white friends uh, who, who are really do show up for the community, who are allies to action. And so, and I think likewise, I, I again, I, I may get raked over the coals for this, but I do find, you know, I've grown up in spaces where, you know, I've met incredibly talented, gifted people of color who grew up way more privileged than me. I mean, like 15 leagues of privilege, more privileged than me, right? Like, and, and so, you know, and again, that's great, but there's a certain sense of like, we're all in this together, right? And if our white, you know, brothers and sisters or our Latinx brothers and sisters, our Asian American brothers and sisters grew up in a certain environment where they were not have the ability or exposed to the same things that you are, um, we got to give them entry points. We have to, we have to create a, we have to create a situation where we're all working together here. And, you know, the cool thing about the way that I grew up is I like heard every kind of conversation. Right. So like, I've heard some super racist shit from all kinds of people. (laughs) So no one is immune to this shit. Um, and you know, again, like we just have to be better. I think we just have to be more honest is the other thing. I also work in the comedy world too, where, you know, again, uh, honesty is our, our greatest, is our greatest weapon. We can't be afraid to say shit. Um, we can't be afraid to sort of laugh at ourselves. You know, we can't be afraid to be wrong. We can't, you know, we can't be afraid. Uh, we just can't be afraid. And I'm the person who like my wife's literally kicks me under the chair every day. Cause I say some shit that she's like, Brad, you can't, you literally can't say that. And I'm like, baby, I've been hearing this in my life for my entire life. And it's just something that has just been in my head. Right. And I got to get better. <laughs> like we all have to get better, but the only way we get better is we say that we say the things, you know? Yeah. I feel like Matt, I feel like, there's so much synergy here in terms of <laughs> Matt's like chomping at the bit because he's like, huh? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, Matt. Oh, Your no, eyes no. were lighting up a couple of moments. He's, he this was like, here. This is why yeah. I, we don't know each other well enough yet, but like Courtney can attest to this. Like, I'm a chatty Kathy, man. I start talking and it just goes <laughs> ever. So I'm like biting my tongue because, you know, we didn't grow up the same, but the way that I grew up, and you're talking about certain things and, it just, I think with our generation, I, I just turned 40. I grew up in this space of like, I had heroes that were black. Yeah. I had friends that were black. I had yeah. family members that were like gangbangers. Like yeah. I grew up in this really interesting space where it was like, 
I loved Allen Iverson. When, yeah. When his first shoes came out, talking about shoes, like when those things came out, I mean, I did everything in my power to have those for freshman basketball. You know, it's just like those types of memories and things of that nature. And it's like, I just think we're in a space and you've said this a couple of times and I know Courtney's heard me say it. It's like, I don't care where you fall on the political landscape, on the sexual preference, like where all of those things that are hot topics right now, I don't care where you land. There's room for improvement. 100%. All agree on that without pointing fingers, without, we're all in this space and we're all in it together. So how do we start having these conversations about we're way more similar than we are different. And so 100% having the conversations, having the, you know, the, the interactions with people and being honest and going like, okay, I'm just going to say something. I'll own something here for myself. It's like, I grew up using the word retard all the time. Yeah. And yeah, like, par for the course, common, like say it all the time, like middle school, high school, like, and it wasn't, it had nothing to do with special needs. It had nothing to do with autism, nothing. It had to do with, you're acting like an idiot. And (laughs) this is what, this is part of it. And so that's, I mean, even Courtney's called me out on it a couple of times and like, in the moment, I maybe don't like it, but then I think about it. I'm like, oh, okay. yeah, you're you right. started to correct yeah. yourself. No, you started. Now you self-correct for sure. And I think that's just the process, right? It's fuck. Like I use that word. I used a whole bunch of other words that you can't use now. And whether that's right, wrong, and different, whatever, I think it's that idea that like, okay, like I know better now. Or I think that that's right. It, it's and that's the piece of it that you know, it's, we're, we're in this interesting dynamic where I do feel sometimes like we are, we, you know, growing up again, not to keep sound like an old person, but like growing up, you know, I remember the whole debate around explicit lyrics, right? Like the, the parental yeah. advisory stickers, right? Yeah. And the debate around just being able to say whatever the fuck you want to be able to say. And as we remember, like conservatives were really policing expression, right? Conservatives said, you can't say these things, right? And, you know, hip hop culture, you know, punk rock culture, the idea of like, we're going to say whatever the fuck we want to say was very much was was in line with the idea of fighting for voice that don't have a voice, right? And so it, it was a very sort of clear black and white of like, fuck all y'all we're going to say what we want to say right and we're going to de- we're going to describe the real you know as public enemy put it like we're the cnn of, of of the streets right and now it's almost like we flipped right and we're at a place where again and i don't really tweet so for folks who are, who are twitter i'd retweet but I, but i don't tweet but like it is the type of thing where we we flipped in a sense of now it's the sort of people policing conversation are the progressives, mm-hmm. right? And it's for the right reason. And by the way, I, look, I don't call it, what, what is the term they use? Uh, cancel culture. I think it's, it's not cancel culture. It's accountability, right? Like we, to your point, Matt, like we all got to be better at this, but I will say the sort of like NWA public enemy rage against the machine of me 
is like, Funky. are we really, are we really like trying to tell people that they can't say a certain thing? Like, you know, it, it's just, it's weird. It's weird. Like that, that in, I don't know how many years that it's been, but now we're the ones saying you can't, you can't joke that way. Or you can't say that that way. Or, right. Comedy is so difficult, Brad. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I want to have the comedy conversation with you because I think, you know, and, and, and allied actions is why we're here. Right. I, I do want to say like, and I think these are the exact conversations we're trying to have because what we saw last year in the in the wake of Ahmad and George Floyd and you know kind of the country being sh shaken in a way um, is that there is a spectrum, right? Like there is a spectrum of understanding of to your point, was it prejudice or anti-racism or you know insert word, and everyone falls on it because of where they come from, because of their background, because of. Yeah the communities they grew up in, the words they heard, you know, the vocabulary that was surrounding them. <clears throat> now, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, it's just what that was. And so people are entering these spaces for first time and being kind of like confronted with like really traumatic stuff, like regarding, like de depending on, you know, where you come from and what race you are, what culture you, you know, attribute yourself to. But like, there was nothing out there that we felt that really invited you in to call yourself out, right? And and like True. to have, um, to give you prompts to have the conversation, to give you a little bit of context to say like, hey, have you thought about it this way? Yeah. And if you haven't, why? And let's have the hard conversation. Let's like have a really uncomfortable exchange that to your point, like maybe I'm going to say something that really makes you feel some sort of way, but like, let's explain why it makes you feel some sort of way. 100%. And maybe we don't agree and that's yeah. okay. But like, at least we've decided to like have a conversation about it. And um, so that's, you know, I, and to your point about like hip hop, that's really interesting. Cause it's right. Like they're like massive activists, like the first culturally like non-political activists really is like punk and hip hop. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, look, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm in a, you know, again, just because of, just because of how I grew up, you know, I'm not, by the way, not everyone should feel the way I should feel. Some people should feel very differently, but the way I grew up, like, I just can't, even when people say the wrong shit, because yeah. my parents say the wrong shit all the time. I don't hate them for it. I just don't. And I don't think that they're lesser people, or I don't think that they deserve any less of my love because they may be racist, because they may be regressive, because they may not have been exposed to an LGBTQ person in their life, or they've not been exposed to just like other experiences, right? And so much of the, the my feeling, I know it sounds super cheesy, but I do feel like it's just a much like lighter way of living. <laughs> like, like I sometimes look at Twitter and I'm just like, there's just so much rage on Twitter. And I feel like it's directed, it's just, you know, like, it's almost like they're they're like rage agents, like the Candace Owens and the Steven Crowders and the Ben Shapiro, like those guys are like rage agents, right? Like they 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 literally like every day are instigating rage. And the reality is like we fall for it. Hook, line, and sinker. We all like Twitter just falls for it. And they just are like there's like just rage, there's just like rage all day, rage, rage, also rage. Also, like turns rage. people off. It's so divisive. Yeah. Like, and it's like and ignore these. Really people. Just ignore that. Like, 
it, the, the biggest thing that you can do, and I do it sometimes with my parents, is like they say, they say a thing, you can try to be like, that's some racist shit. But really the way to, to, the really way to change, in my opinion, like culture or behavior is to just do it, is to do it. And it's to be, speaking of at, like being an ally, it's just do it. Like, like, you know, focusing on all of the ugly shit when there are only a certain number of hours in my day, right? Like I coach Little League Baseball and it's like, I feel like I could spend time tweeting in the fucking void or I can spend three hours of my week actually like building community and relationships with all of these different families and their children every week, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, again, I think that we just need to pick our we just need to pick our battles better. And, and I find, um, you know, the, I, I love what you guys have built because I don't think that there are that many examples of, of this. Like I can't point to a lot of them, right? Because, you know, the, the, the sort of outrage machine or like the tweets that get tens of thousands of likes are the rage, you, they're the dunks, <laughs> they're the, like, you know, like, it's it's you're not going to get a 10,000 like tweet being like you know i sort of see your point of view <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not going to that's not going to do well on twitter so you know i i just find i find the the sort of performative aspect of of you know politics there's a really great book and there's a lot of conversation about how you know, political hobbyism is, is like a really, is a big problem, right? Which is to say like, it's become a hobby. And the people that actually work in politics like myself and, and others, like our friend, Carrie Twig, who've worked in politics, uh, politics is not a hobby. Politics is like literally a job. And there are certain outcomes and goals of the job, right? And there are obviously so many moving parts and like you need, you need the left, you need, you need the Overton window, you need the sort of push to do, to get shit done, but it's like really hard work. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as a tweet, you know? And I think that we've, we've now devolved into a world where everyone is a political expert. Everyone knows how to pass legislation. <laughs> everyone, you know, if you have a Twitter following, like you apparently are, you know, can run a presidential campaign or something. <laughs> um, and we, we've sort of lost the thread, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. So again, and I I think this is a a much bigger conversation around, you know, I love, you know, again, I love social media for for a lot of different ways, but I do think that, um, you know, when AOC, for instance, um, was getting attacked by folks like Jimmy Dore on the left, because they were asking her to do a very performative thing, right? And they didn't quite understand because they don't know what the fuck it's like to be a member of Congress. Why AOC was like, this is not, no, this does, this does, this does not move the ball down. Right. Not move the ball down the, the court when it comes to Medicare for all. But, but like a whole bunch of like random Twitter people are like, well, I know how to do your job better than you. So I'm just going to attack you every single day. The dinner party expert. You know, yeah. everybody, everybody knows that person. It's, it's, again, it's healthy. It's good. I'm not saying, look, Twitter at me, whatever. I don't really tweet, 
But it's like, instead of doing all of that, it's like, what are you doing in your, literally like, what are you doing in your community is the question, you know? And um, I'm a dad. In your family. In your family. Or in like your own family. Yeah. Your neighbor. Yeah. I know I sound like, by the way, I, I sound like the oldest person uh, <laughs> in the world. My younger colleagues just refer to me as like the, the geriatric millennial. Um, because I just don't, I don't quite get some of this stuff, but, um, we just, yeah, we just need to do a better job y'all. Like, I don't, I, I also, the last thing I'll say too, is like, I feel like it's a form of privilege that I have so many people in my life who have differing opinions that in and of itself is like, uh, is a privilege because Mm -hmm. we're all in our own bubbles. You know what I mean? Well, I think that's the thing. And you've said so many brilliant things, but I think this is the thing that Courtney and I talk about all the time. Everybody's perspective is different. So how do you expect everybody to be looking through the same lens? Yeah. Like it, like there's probably a ton of things that we agree on and there's probably a ton of things that we're like far apart on. But to me, that's the joy of the time that we live in, that we can all be in different places of the country and we can sit and have a conversation on, on a computer, on the interweb and, and have these types of conversations. And the biggest thing for me is you have to, I think we all need more authenticity in our life, whether that's from our political figures or from our next door neighbor or whatever it may be. And I think it's, you've got to let people have their opinions and, and you also have to let people make mistakes and adjust the course and go, Hey, I didn't really get that, but I get it now. And now I'm over here without taking that person and throwing them in the trash. 100%. And here's the other thing, y'all. And I'll be the first to admit it. Most people don't know shit. Just generally speaking. Like, just let's just be totally Totally. clear. Like, if you were to, like, tap the shoulder of someone, ask them a question, and get three questions in on, like, why they believe a certain thing, you will realize they actually don't really know what the fuck they're talking about. That's why late-night comedy exists. Because they can just ask normal people things that they don't know. Right. Like, people don't know. And I think that that's the other... I will will cite someone who I think... Here's a a thought that people may, may at me and be angry with me at. I think that, like, what Hassan Piker does every single day on Twitch is probably, like, one of the most important things for our political landscape than pretty much anything else. Like... And again, and I'm like an older geriatric millennial, but like what, what Hassan does, I, I met Hassan like one time, I think I, he does not know me. So this is not like a plug for his Twitch, but he's, here's the thing. He's building community, Yeah. right? He's building community. And the other thing he's doing is like educating in a way that's like straight up fucking honest in his voice and he's going through it. And it's not, he's not, yes, he's a point of view. Yes, he is a perspective. And it's funny, but it's a hang. And like the reason why people, in my opinion, we're not providing entry points where people can actually learn shit. And if you yeah. watch Hassan's Twitch, you learn shit. Yeah. You literally learn shit. You learn shit about what is happening in the world, his perspective, and he deep dives. He'll go into it, right? He'll be critical of Democrats, he'll be critical of Republicans. And I think that we don't do enough of that. I think we do more of um, saying what we are in response to what we aren't, right? And, and I think that the dunking on bad actors and the dunking on 
you know, provocateurs is, is necessary. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, everyone should be dunking on Candace Owens. I'm not like, you know, 100%. She's, she's an awful, awful human. And I'll just say that out front, right? Like she just is. But at the same time, we can't, I don't know, like that can't be the, the that's not it. That's, that's not it. It, it can't be it. You anymore. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like that's why we're here. That's why we created A to A is because we need to have real conversations with real people that like give some context to no thing the, the finger, you know, the, the opposite of the finger point to just say, yes. like, actually, you know, like just show up at the table, share your story. It might be different than ours or the person listening, but like, let's be a fly on the wall, right? And 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 talk about it. I, I will say that we've done some unbelievable roundtables, and one that is on our YouTube channel is called is I think it was like the power, promotion, and protection of Black women in America, right? And it had um, various people right on that round table of backgrounds right you know dylan mcgee who's the founder of makers right who is dylan's unbelievable right you had elsa um you know and elsa um and then you had ogie and you had glow and and the honesty that happened at that round table right and the ability for people to ask live questions and the things that were asked people came away and were like I would have never been able to listen or hear yes. that. And there's no producer telling them what to say, right? There's no stakes of, okay, yeah. the next program is this host who's going to have this opposite viewpoint. So let's make sure we like get them to fight a little bit. Yeah. And that's, you know. I, I'll give you a perfect awesome. example. Like, and this may be, you know, maybe a little too honest, but I'll be, I'll be totally candid with you, right? So this rise in anti-Asian violence, right? This started over a year and a half ago with Donald Trump weaponizing the, the worst kind of white supremacy, right? He's scapegoating an entire community because he does not know what the fuck he's doing. And he's calling it the Kung flu and he's calling it the Wuhan virus. And the UN wrote a report saying that these words weaponized from the literally like the white supremacist in chief is gonna have violent outcomes. Like there was a report written saying there will be an increase in violence and bullying and extremism because of what he's saying. No one said anything, right? Like press, media, they just kept allowing him to say Wuhan virus every day. Um, And then we started to see the spike in violence, right? And what's happened is there has been this moment where, again, Asian Americans who've largely felt for a lot of different reasons, um, like they've never been centered right? They've never been sort of the main character of their own story or the American story. They've always felt othered or felt like invisible or that they couldn't speak out. I wouldn't say all Asian Americans, because we also have a very long history of activism is the other thing that people don't quite realize. The JACL was created in 1929. It's not like Asian Americans haven't been fighting for racial equality and haven't been fighting for justice, but the vast majority of Asian Americans have immigrated to this country happened after the Civil Rights Act. Um, And so these are a lot of new Asian immigrants to the United States. And so long story short, when it came to this violence, a lot of the videos were African-Americans, right? A lot of it was street crime. Um, And there was a lot of what I would call regressive 
conversations around how do we protect Asian American communities, which you know are sort of the fail-safe first things that that a lot of folks say, which is we need to lock more people up. We need a we need more cops on the streets, and a lot of it was focused on young black men, and a lot of the people that were saying these things were prominent Asian Americans, right? And the reality is because of my proximity or just because I know a, a lot of these folks or, or a lot of people in the community, we, we really came together as a, as a community, right? Started on like WhatsApp chain, started in, in other forms. And what became very clear was that there was such low information, even among these activists and leaders around the like how many years, right? of people who've been doing their best to combat violence, to protect communities, while at the same time advocating for criminal justice reform. And there's just a lot of education. There's just a lot of information and education that needed to be had, right? And it's still a daily challenge um, of, again, these, these like perceptions of, oh, well, these like we if we need we need to be focusing on x y or z we need to be like more punitive we need to do x y or z and it's like actually no and here are the reasons <laughs> here are the reasons why like you do realize that street crime and, and a lot of these violent incidents are it's like mental health it's yeah. poverty it's the outcomes of of you know healthcare. it's the outcomes of a lot of these things and yes it is also racism it's all of the things and you know, one of the questions that kept came in, coming up was like, well, how do we solve this? And it's like, yo, I'm sorry. Like, I'm working with Common on his criminal justice reform organization. He grew up in the projects. He's been working on this his whole life. It's like, you do realize that there have been people who dedicated their entire lives to protecting Black and Brown communities from violence. You do realize that just this last weekend, 30 people were shot in Chicago, but it's not covered by the news. There's no hashtags. Right. But it's used. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Want, but it's like, yeah. and, you know, so this is a, this may be new. I mean, that's the piece of it, right? Which is this may be new and unprecedented for Asian American communities to deal with this, right? But it's not new for other communities. And there's a sense of like, again, needing to take a step back and realizing, fuck. I've just been in this silo. I've not been concerned perhaps as much as I should have for black, for black bodies and for black families, right? But because it's now my community, I now want to, now I know I want a solution to violent crime. It happened tomorrow. We have to solve violent crime tomorrow. Violent crime, like, are you kidding me? Like, the, you know, anyway, so, so it's, it's just, that's the thing that we all have our blinders. We all have our blinders. And the sooner that we can realize that we have our blinders and the sooner that we realize that, you know, again, violence to trans, violence to LGBTQ, violence to uh, families at the border, separation of families, violence to any community is a violence to my community, right? And we have to figure out a way. And again, we also, in large part, have to figure out a way where we're having white families feel this way. I mean, I think Ta-Nehisi Coates put it better than anyone. You know, he said, 
that the Black Lives Matter movement, from his perspective, has had more impact than the actual civil rights movement. Because during the civil rights movement, there were no white suburban moms putting Black Lives Matter posters in their kitchens, right? Like the, like the progress that can be made, the only way we really make progress is through allyship. It is through white moms wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. And that was what was so beautiful and so powerful about Black Lives Matter. We have to keep doing that though. We can't lose the thread. We can't just keep talking to, we're not trying to change the hearts and minds of black people, right? We're trying to change the hearts and minds of whites, of cops, of families that aren't exposed to our community. And again, I do find like sometimes um, in these imagined spaces like Twitter or you know th these other places, we, we do not, to your guys' point, we do not give, again, especially this rising generation, the benefit of the doubt. Because here's the thing, they just don't know shit. <laughs> it's the other part. That's why I keep going back to the song. Like a lot of people, even older people, they don't know shit. So yes, perhaps their perspective. And when I say they don't know shit, what I mean to say is I don't know shit. No one knows shit. Like we're, we're all coming at this from our own bubbles, our own perspectives. And the only way that we sort of change culture, change hearts and minds is just going into it, expecting everyone is racist. <laughs> like that's back to my mom. Like we just have to expect it. And don't be alarmed at it, you know, and work at it. It's like, it's like a relationship. You have to work at it, you know? Um, and maybe I have a very cynical perspective of, of humans, but I just don't think um, no one's perfect, you know? And we just sort of have to hope that we can make each other a little bit better, you know? Yeah, that's... I mean, so much of what you said makes so much sense and it was so well said. And I think you said something earlier and kind of resonated with me. And I think it's the idea that we have to allow people to own their mistakes. Yeah. Feel like, like I said, they're not going to be thrown out, right? But to the other side of the equation is we have, we're in this, space right now right we talk about twitter social media all these things and again regardless of where you fall in the political landscape how fear has be turned it has turned into a virtue how we have created these spaces to point fingers to yeah. to paint these broad strokes of going this is what we need to do and you said something real earlier we just kind of kept going it doesn't matter what you tweet what you believe in, it matters about how you treat your next door neighbor. 100%. Go to church with, who your kid plays soccer with, who you go to school with. Until we can make those fundamental changes and actually really give a shit about another person for no other reason other than their own well being, none of this shit matters. None of the. I mean, yo, I couldn't agree more. Like, look, I mean, it's been written about at length, right? Like, the number of studies around, you know, the creation of imagined communities. And this was like started with regards to like television, but like think about imagined communities today, but there's a study done with like 20 years ago that if you were to ask someone, you know, back in the 1970s, who their neighbors were on their block, they could name every single neighbor. Yep. They can name every child, every, every person in the household, their children, 
what they do. Literally, like, and it was in cities and in suburban spaces. I remember making cookies for new neighbors and yeah, going- Yeah, you do that now though. You, if you were to ask someone, can you name yeah. your neighbor two houses down from you or two doors down from you? People couldn't name you. But if you were to ask them, like, can you name, you know, the characters from uh, Mayor of Easttown or who was at the Friends reunion or, you know, who's, who's number one top chart, uh, whatever. They can name all those people, but they can't name the person who lives two doors down from them, right? Like, you know, we we try to do a better job of it ourselves, but like, it's it's a challenge, right? Like we, this, again, I do worry about this, this uh, especially this newer generation where, what are we, I almost feel like we need almost like a social media campaign to be like, throw a block party, <laughs> throw a barbecue, um, just do it. Just go to your neighbors and be like, you know what? We never met before. We've lived next to each other for five years. We're having a barbecue. Love for you to come. Love for you to meet my kids. You know what I mean? Like we just don't do it. Well, I think to that point, right? We're on these stupid things yeah. all day long. And I love it. Don't get it twisted. I spend so much <laughs> Instagram, a Twitter. I got burner account. It's so fun. I love this shit, right? But like, I grew up probably like you guys. I want to play with my friends. I'm going to ride my bike to their house. I'm going to knock. Can Ryan come out and play? Like, <laughs> there's something about that that we're missing yeah. as as humanity yeah this idea that like you know what you don't look like me you don't smell like me you don't like the same things that i do but you're a fucking human being and i respect that yeah yeah i mean i'll say again it's probably too much information but i live uh i'm like sharing too much information we have to go back and edit it all out courtney but um you know like i live we're, we're we live in northeast dc our our entire community is black right when we moved in, you know, cause I'm like racially ambiguous, so to speak. Right. <laughs> so when we moved in a lot of our neighbors, I could just sort of tell, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like our neighbors kind of like, all right, who are these racially ambiguous people moving in <laughs> into our neighborhood? Cause your wife is also. My wife is also racially ambiguous. Right. So we're, you know, literally on our block, the, the entire neighborhood is black. Right. And my parents came to visit, my dad came to visit shortly after we moved in. And I noticed the tenor of our neighbors when, when I would say hi, change a little bit. Yeah. They sort of understood a little bit more, right? Just by seeing my dad as black, they were kind of like, all right, I kind of get it. <laughs> I kind of oh, get yeah. it now, yeah. right? And like, but again, it's like these sort of social cues of there was, you know, we all do it, right? And like, think about all think about black families moving to white neighborhoods it's the same right it's like we all have these own like guards that we sort of put up or these sort of like well i don't know that you're welcome to the barbecue or not i got to sort of figure this out and it's on it's become it's like incumbent on us to your point matt like you know we have to do the work you know what i mean like a lot of times i think people do say oh well you know Again, it's, it's an, I know I sound very like neoliberal Obama-esque here, but like, 
there's a lot of just like railing against the problems and like railing against the system. And there's, and, and there's not a lot of like, well, what the fuck are you doing about it? Because the doing about it is the harder part. You know what I mean? Like the showing up is the much harder part. And yet it may be neoliberal (laughs) to want to, you know, the way I put it, you know, not to get political here, but like, it's so easy to beat up on the democratic party, right? Yeah. The democratic party, this, that, and the other, it sucks. It needs to do this. It needs to do that. But it's like, have you ever thought about running for, for a democratic party chair seat to change the democratic party? Have you thought about going to a, to a, you know, a local democratic party meeting and like changing it? Cause it's so easy to say they suck much harder to like roll up your sleeves and like actually change it. And like, that's been my perspective on pretty much everything. It's like, I, you know, and maybe again, like I have a perspective that I think growing up, I, I, I used to be sort of an artist, but it's like the last thing in the world I want to be is a critic. Who gives a fuck what a critic says? I want to create art. You know, I want to be in the arena. I want to do the things. And I think that we don't put enough emphasis on the doing. We put so much emphasis on the fucking like spectators throwing right. shit at people. And, you know, again, like we need to lift up the people that, that really are, to your point, Matt, like doing it, just do it. That's the biggest thing for me and, and, you know, Courtney and I, and how we connected on allied action. I've kind of spent the last 10 years in the philanthropic space and she reached out to me and said, Hey, I've kind of got this idea. I'm working through it. Can I use, you know, are you willing to help? And I just said, yeah, call me when you're ready. (laughs) And and the reason, you know, just like everybody else, we've all been affected by 2020 and so a litany of different ways. And I think for my own internal conversation going on in my own head, I just always wanted everything that I do is about like, yeah, take action. I've spent a lot of time in the yeah. cancer space and there's a lot of people walking a lot of miles doing a lot of stuff to create awareness for cancer. 2021 we all fucking know what cancer is what are we doing to fix it like not we know there's a problem that and that's my biggest thing with the media and where we're at news whether it's cnn or fox or whatever the, the the monetary compensation going on for people jumping and yelling and screaming and pointing fingers regardless of the side that's a huge huge problem it turns into this, nobody wants to listen. Everybody just wants yeah. to respond. Yeah, and the incentives, I think the incentives are, are, are wrong too, right? Because I do think, you know, again, we're, it's a very interesting moment right now, to be honest, y'all, because I do find myself thinking like, you know, I work a lot with members of Congress, for instance, and it's, you know, in large respects, they feel less power than they've ever felt right and it's also because i think you know they don't have the attention like (laughs) not to compare them to like a random celebrity but but like just pick a random congressperson and then just pick a random like literally like an instagram model and that instagram model probably has more of a community 
than a than like literally a U.S. Congressperson does today, you know. Not it's, even it, and so our our sort of again, and this is the challenge, which is we don't do a good enough job, and this is, goes across industries, right? Like we don't do a good enough job of prioritizing um, public servants, teachers, you know, people who actually create, in my opinion, like real meaningful impact in a community, right? Yeah. And because it's just not that sexy, it's not that it's not that interesting. And doesn't pay. Yeah, it's it's you know, I mean again, maybe we should get Congress people to like post thirst traps, like maybe that'll that'll help. But like we just we we just need to do I love ally to action because I do think that you know I am intrigued and interested in having conversations with people that that I disagree with. I mm -hmm. I actually am. And that's not everyone. I mean, not everyone want like my wife, by the way who is like my favorite human in the world, she doesn't have a time for it, right? She's literally like working for Eric Holder and suing states and like fixing gerrymandering. And like, she does not have the time to be worrying about people and like, you know, hearing- Holding hands. Yeah. Differing perspectives, if you will, sure. right? Um, I am interested. I, I actually find it like I read I read people that I disagree with all the time. You know, I, I'm very, I like read Andrew Sullivan and I don't understand why he's so transphobic right now, but like I have found his writing always very interesting for, for a number of years, but it's, you know, we, we just need the, oh, here's the last thing I'll say. We gotta be better. We gotta be better in our, like, uh, in our politicking in and of itself which is to say, if you don't understand opposing views, then you're not gonna be sharp. You're not well, gonna be thoughtful about how their racism or transphobia or their perspectives. Yeah. But that, that's always been my thing. Yeah. I don't care where you're at. Yeah. You're only looking at what you believe in. Yeah. You don't understand that you have to look at both sides to get to your truth, to get to your authentic truth, whether you're a community of people or an individual. If you're not willing to do a deep dive into the problem or the issue or the object as a whole, you're part of the problem. Yep. That's it's right. interesting. I like went on Adam Carolla's podcast. It was brutal. It was so awful. Like he he's anyway, nothing against Adam Carolla, but like, you know. But but it was so weird because he came in there, you know, he was all hopped up. He's like a right-wing ideologue, right? He's all hopped up and has all these statistics about absent Black fathers and like all this stuff. And like, he never actually spoke to someone who like knows the issue. Hmm. And like, I actually like could very articulately explain to him what Obama, President Obama did with My Brother's Keeper, the like inner department, uh, study the millions of dollars that are being put into this work that 100% agreed on everything that he's saying on the rate of, of absenteeism, et cetera. But like where that actually comes from and like how many incarcerated black men there are. And like, but literally like his eyes were just like, oh, I never thought, like literally it was like talking like a child. But the thing is, he's saying all of these things all the time in his like little bubble unchallenged and 100%. everyone's just going like this to him. 
Well, yeah, not everybody you're, right. you're right. It's all these absent black fathers. That's the problem with with everybody. with black violence and black all this stuff. And no one ever like actually walked him through. But you do where, know where that comes from. And you do know that there are so many foundations and 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 organizations that are dedicating, again, their entire lives to yes. working on this problem. It's yeah. not like it's not like like Democrats don't know this because <laughs> that's what he kept saying. He's like, oh, they're focusing on all these other things. Like, no, we're focusing on that too, you know. And like, who, who, why do you think that Democrats aren't focused on this? So that's the thing is like, we, we, that's the example for Corolla, but I'm sure that there are examples on our side too, where we're saying things about people that we perhaps disagree with, but they're probably saying, oh no, we're, you know, perhaps we're working on that. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. I think that's the, the problem as a whole, right? It's, we've turned this thing into no, I'm right. No, yeah. I'm right. Well, it, this is this is the problem. What's it's right? It's not about being right or wrong. It's Correct. about going, this is where we're at in humanity right now. Yeah. I think everybody can agree there's room for improvement. And the only way that we improve is if we do it together. Because yeah. anything else is like, I don't got time for this shit. Like, you guys want to have a circle jerk? Great. Like, have fun. Like, well, I'm also, it's weird. Like, even people that I really disagree with on certain issues, like abortion, right? Like, mm -hmm generally agree with most other things i mean at a certain age right it's also generational yeah. right and you know there are people again it just becomes this like um it becomes this firing squad this is also why i do think that there's an interesting thing where celebrities again like to say well i don't like to get political or i don't want to i don't want to talk about politics and i think that that's a mistake too right i actually do like no, you should talk about politics. Like, because I think that you can't, the, the, the challenge that I find myself in is like, the reason why people are so insular and ingrained and have like very bad faith arguments or thoughts is because they're either keeping it to themselves or they're only saying it among people that agree with them. They live in an echo chamber. Yeah. A lot of people do. But it's yeah. also because it's also because we've created, and I will say we as a collective world, and then maybe the microcosm of our various countries' cultures, right? We've created a place where you're not encouraged, you are you are um you are knocked down for maybe saying something unpopular, right? And yeah. I'll use an example which we had we talked about a lot when we when we launched the 21 day, the first program um last year, Brad was when people like put up the black square because they thought they were being supportive. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, I still think half the people who did it don't know where it came from, but like, that wasn't the point. The intention behind it was such, right? It was such that I would be supportive. I'm well-intentioned in knowing that maybe I don't know, but this is what I think people are doing. And so I reached out and like, I, I'm just not gonna say anything because I thought I did the right thing and then I didn't, you know, and, and um, and I think going back to your point about education and the lack of um, maybe importance or value, whether that's financial or time or what have you, was so important. And we, you know, we have scholars and experts that we work with to create these programs, right? These we have like a 10-day and a 21-day, and we have various resources and conversations, but like there's an expectation that they're just gonna do it for free. 
right? Like these are people that dedicate their lives to your point many times on this, in this conversation to helping people understand, right. And to having, to having a conversation might be difficult, but also bring a different perspective, but they're not the celebrity all the time. You know what I'm saying? And, and like that sucks because like they should, you know, just like teachers, you know, they should get paid a lot more money because if, if you're able to come and speak very eloquently with some, with some context to help somebody with another perspective, that's invaluable. Right. And so I, we just feel lucky to be able to kind of collate that. And, and I know, you know, we've, we've been talking and we could talk all day about this stuff, but, um, that's our aim. And like, I'm just really grateful that you were able to hang out with us and talk um, about it because your perspective is so unique, not only from like your personal background, but also your experience within the White House, right? Your experience within comedy, within, you know, like starting run in the PI community. Um, just having more of these is so yeah, important. I mean, I, I, I'm sure this is like an awful podcast. I'm going to be canceled 15 times, which is awesome. But no, but like, I, I'm very fired up about what you guys are creating. And maybe this could be the start of a longer conversation because I think, I just think of it as like, we just need to do a better job of building community. It really just comes, comes down to building community. And it's like, oh, but like real community. And I know that sounds kind of funny, but you know, I haven't seen, you know, back in the day, not to, date myself but like I became an Obama volunteer because I went to like one of the earlier like Obama house party things and it was like a game changer for me it really was a game changer to go to a house party meet people I'd never met before like to a new community I never because I we had just moved to this area and really get to know people on a level that had nothing to really do with you know, a specific activity, it was, we were all there because we believed in this higher, like this higher idea of, we wanted to be something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it was in the form of this guy, Barack Obama, but, it, but like, honestly, none of the conversations were, were about Barack Obama. All of the conversations were about our own, like hopes and dreams and story of selves and all that shit, you know? And I think that we, you know, Again, it's a longer conversation about, you know, what is it, the lack of bowling alleys or the lack of churches or the lack of like meeting spaces and all this good shit. But like one thing that Allied Action can do is literally just like bring fucking dope ass people together. <laughs> like that in and of itself. You said like- it. And you said something earlier that I, I, I wanted to jump in, but I didn't. It was like for me ingrained the Dave Chappelle block party. Like, yeah that to me and like going back to like music lyrics and to try to button this whole conversation up I remember going to Sam Goody for the very first time and buying the first CD I ever bought was Warren G Regulators yeah I had to go in there and like I was like 13 and I I like bought it in a stack of other CDs to hopefully that they wouldn't you know see the oh yeah you put that like you put that Mariah Carey on top and it worked right and so I think it's, to me, I think this, this conversation is exactly what you said. We need to have these conversations with people with different experiences, different lenses, different perspectives in, in all walks of life, right? But I think what it all has got to come down to is just having empathy and yeah. understanding that like nobody is alike. 
everybody's got different circumstances. You might look at somebody and go, oh, that's a six foot four older white guy. That's a racist. Well, actually, that's my dad. And he has he adopted a, a beautiful little girl from Vietnam who he's yeah. as his own. Like, and I look at those things and I go, man, it would be real easy to put him in a box or to put you in a box or to put myself in a box. And I think we've gotten to this space of let, let's define everybody. And mm. I think that the definition that we're forgetting is that we're all human beings. But w- one last thing I'll say too, which is funny where, you know, we, we live again, as I mentioned in a neighborhood, but also in our community where the majority of our friends, weirdly enough, like I grew up in an Italian American neighborhood where all my friends were white. And now we live in a community where all of our friends are black or black and brown, like almost. And like, we, again, we're always trying to proactively, especially with our kids, like mix communities. Like we purposely do it. Like, and it's something that I don't think that people do enough of, right? Which is like, a lot of our white friends don't have black friends. They don't even know how to make black friends. I know it sounds so like funny at like saying it out loud, but they literally like, they, they just don't have them, right? Or, or they've never had the opportunity. Maybe they don't have neighbors or whatever it is. And it's not, it's not their fault. Yes. You know, you know just, what I mean? Like, it it's, is. yeah, it's not their fault. It's just, it's just what it is. And I think we find ourselves where we get to choose the dinner party list or we get to choose the communities that we're bringing together. And like, we're again, the racially ambiguous couple. So we're always trying to bring different types of people together, which is another thing that I think, again, you know, I feel like ally to action, like that is, that is something that a lot of communities I think want, right? Not just white communities, but I would also argue the Asian American community. Like I get asked all the time about the black community because not a lot of my Asian friends have any black friends. So their exposure to the black community is through what they see on Twitter and what they read. Film, television, music. Yeah. And so again, I feel like that's a source of privilege. And I also want to like, that's something that I think we can all help with, which is like, how do we create that space where the whole point is we want a whole bunch of different faces, a whole bunch of different creeds, communities, mm-hmm. races, religions, you know, all the shit. We want it all. Like I want to, it's like, it's like a potluck. A potluck is only good if everyone is bringing a different kind of dish. If everyone's bringing pasta, it's like boring as shit, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think we've gotten to this space of like, everybody's in these boxes and definition yeah. communities and stuff. And it's like, we're way more alike than we are different. And I yes. think we can remember that just in baseline threads of conversations and interactions, I think we'll all be in a better space for it. And now everybody understands why I love both of these men. Oh, <laughs> That's true. It's true. You guys are very similarly yoked and I'm very honored to have known you individually and now collectively and Brad, Thank you for spending, you know, your Friday I guess afternoon since you're East Coast um, with us. Um, we could, awesome. I want to do it again when you're in LA. I'm ready. Do that. I'm ready. I'm sorry I rambled for a lot. And also, truth be told, I didn't even know we were really doing a podcast until like right before. I thought we were just catching up. So I apologize if I rambled. But this oh, is such please. a awesome conversation, and I'm excited to work with you guys on this. It's so exciting.
thanks for yeah. just taking some time and, and carving it out. I know everybody's busy and and for us, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head. It, it really just is about let's have conversations because yeah. I, if anything throughout this, you know, pandemic and everything that's gone on in, in 2020, I think it's the opportunity to be a fly on the wall in conversations like this, I think helps push this thing forward. So man, just, I'm so glad that we connected and, and got a chance to talk. And um, I, I think that together we're going to continue to kind of push the ball forward and um, just thank you for, for spending some time. Me too, man. Thank you both for, for creating what you created. It's needed is my take, you know, um, and it doesn't exist without you, without Carrie, without the amazing individuals who, oh man, if Twit was not only to share, but to learn. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. But I was just going to say Carrie Twig. I mean, she's a, by the way, Carrie's, Carrie's like my, uh, I feel like she's my alter ego. She probably would have disagreed with everything that I said, which I love the most about her. She's probably like, Brad, you got to stop. You got to stop making excuses for people. <laughs> I literally just got off a call with Carrie to join this. Um, so it was definitely a, a white, a, an Obama White House uh, morning for me. I love it. Well, yeah, this was awesome, guys. Thank Courtney. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Likewise, man. It, just a, an honor to spend some time with you. And uh, I think this is probably the first of a couple conversations at least. Yeah, Brad, I'll send you a note um, with info because i know we didn't get to like dive into uh you know everything um yeah we'll send you a note and we'll just all connect and um we can figure out what and how we can help run and you know vice versa with with all the things that you're doing because i know you've got a million things in there's so many yeah i mean i was also thinking out loud and even like the asian american foundation stuff i've been working on like this could maybe be a good partner for some of the stuff that they're doing because i again like that's the 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 <laughs> the thing that I keep reminding folks on, right, which is, you know, in large part, yes, we need to be talking to the 23 million Asian Americans, but the 23 million Asian Americans are not the ones beating old Asian women's with bricks, right? So it's like the real challenge is actually non-Asians, right? And like sort of exactly what we were just describing, like how are we creating entry points? How are we creating empathy for Asian Americans? And that's not two Asian Americans. That's actually two white people. That's actually two black and Latinx. Like that's the real hard work, right? And requires allies. You can't do it by yourself. And so like every API Heritage Month, we would have it at the White House. It was so beautiful, so celebratory. But like, you know, again, if I'm not Asian, I'm not checking for that. Why am I gonna, <laughs> yeah. why am I gonna go check for API Heritage Month shit? Like that's, that's nothing to do with me. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the sort of piece that, again, to your point, Matt, like we all need to do a better job of like always thinking about how are we, how are we bringing people in? Yeah. You know? And I think that to kind of button this thing up, I think the thing that does that is how we started this conversation, talking yeah. about shoes, talking about yeah. culture and things that we go, we all look different. We all come from different parts of the country. We all have these different unique perspectives but we can sit here and have a five hour conversation about yes. books, right? Totally. Or, or whatever it may be. And it's like, all of a sudden you start having these conversations and you go, yeah, he might vote different than me. He might think this is more important than I do, but that's my homie. 100%. That's all this needs I, to be. Yeah, 100%. That's it. that's it. I mean, some of my favorite people in the world, I can't agree. I don't agree with any of their shit politically, 
but they know some shit about basketball and they know some shit about, you know, and like, <laughs> that's all it and is. That's what we vibe on. That's it. <laughs> and, 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 and to understand that, like, it's okay not to agree. Like yeah. this idea that, Oh, you don't believe what I do. Fuck you. I'm never talking to you again. Like, yeah. no, like you're an idiot. You're outside your mind, but damn, the Lakers played like shit last night. Like, yes. and, and, you know, and, and, and then off you go. Yeah. Agree. Um, you guys, I love you both. I do have to jump. I do too. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much. Awesome, y'all. Thank, thank you guys so much again for thinking of me. Oh man, likewise. We'll talk to you soon. All right, y'all. Peace. See ya. Bye. Bye.